episode 191 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. If you have an editorial you'd like to read or have us read for you, let us know by emailing it to us at podcast at anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? Explosive attentat against a precinct from Contra Info, translated by Anarchist News. A communique. You probably figured that out. This action happened in Chile. Quote, It exploded in your hands, bastards. But let it be clear that it's not a simply personal attack. It's a declaration of eternal and constant war against their institution and against the society that needs it. We move silently among you, under your noses, and you don't smell us. Who is the prey now? To all those who categorize every act of amoral attack as a staged farce or a frame-up, don't try to numb down the rage. There are beings who are willing to attack at any moment. The only thing we lament was the low lethality of the artifact, and in its defect, we hope both bastards fear for their lives, and that the government wastes dirty money, energy, and time in fruitless investigations. To the reformists and revolutionaries, stop acting and speaking like victims. Some of us choose to be feared and not humiliated. The only thing we have to lose is our chains. Let's multiply despicable attacks without warning." Certainly one response to the topic of the week on aesthetics, right? Works for me. Bialis Turbo Caravan Travel Diary. From Bialis Turbo Caravan, English translation by Anarchist News. A report on their illegal going away pizza and calzone party. And then days of prisoner support, harassment by cops, and the struggle of finding space in cities and other adventures. A couple weeks worth of doing a caravan in the days of isolation and fear. Quote, Thursday, November 12th, Secondiliano, Piastum, just one way. We, pre- we prepared the vehicles to continue the trip, and we said goodbye with a bit of sadness to some comrades who take off for the return trip. But they promised us that they'll come back. In the afternoon, we tried a last greeting to, sec- to the Secondiliano jail, but the logistic of the place doesn't let us speak directly with the prisoners, but with the guards instead. So after going around the neighborhood a couple times, we decided to abandon the project. We're a bit frustrated. We realized that we need to better understand the ins and outs of different aspects of these prisons. Well, in a caravan after going one way, there's always the return. It took us an epoch to get out of Naples. From the north periphery of the city to the tangential, we preferred to take through the center of the city. What a wild delirium. We're heading south this time choosing a destination in the coast that has a certain historical importance, unquote. Eric in quarantine with COVID and mail ban temporarily lifted. From supportericking.org, documenting how the prisons don't care even about their own employees, much less the convicted, leading to unnecessary COVID cases. Also, this message from Eric himself, quote, Hello, hello, hello. I want to check in with everyone who cares and all the government creeps stalking this page. We see you. We still hate you. FTTP. This was supposed to be the month my male privileges were returned. Apparently, a differing opinion about what six months means might push it back to January. I am working with the admin here to have that corrected. I really miss letters. I miss my friends caring about your lives, adventures, pets, all of it. Hopefully soon we can get to chatting again and building, maintaining strong friendships. I've been getting some magazines recently, either in bundle packages or subscriptions. Thank you so effing much. Magazines and books are so crucial when you're stuck in the damn shoe forever, they can be a lifeline to the world. Thank you billions to everyone who's looked out for me in any way, unquote. 
Now is your chance, folks. Write him a letter. If nothing else, copy some comics and just send those. Laughter is important. There's more info about what to send him in this post, so check it out. Anarchist blogger Nikolai Dedok arrested in Belarus. From Anarchist Black Cross Belarus. A story of home invasion, torture, and a frame-up, with cops forcing their captive to spit on bottles that will then be called evidence against him. Quote, After the police officers demanded that the arrested anarchist again uttered on camera the text they had written, they said if he says something wrong, they will beat him. If he says anything else about cops or about someone from Gubo Peak, main directorate for combating organized crime and corruption, they will take him from the detention center and beat him again, and even harder. According to the source, Dedok, who doesn't know who did this, the participants in the arrest and search did not introduce themselves and were wearing masks. They promised that the anarchists would receive seven or nine years, and if he says something about them, he will be placed into a cockpit. The special Russian type of cell where prisoners may rape a new one. The wardens can use this cell as a punishment and killed over there. Unquote. There's no information about any way to support him, but presumably Anarchist Black Cross Belarus funds include Nikolai in their efforts. Update on the situation in Belarus via A Radio Berlin from Anarchist Black Cross Belarus. A helpful follow-up to the previous story, especially after hearing that people slash anarchists are still being imprisoned and tortured. The interviewee talks about a change in police tactics, including going from harassing people at protests to recording them, identifying them at protests, and then picking them off individually later. Also, the cops are focusing on chats, which are used a lot to organize and coordinate actions, because tech is a trap, people. Oh, that's me. So they're also arresting site administrators, and folks are responding by creating new apps, which are of only limited use presently. Also, the head of the state is using political prisoners, who he has released to democracy wash himself. It's an interesting update on a volatile situation worth reading. Stormy Petrol is out from the anarchist communist group. I was thinking that Stormy Petrol was a prisoner I hadn't heard of, but no, it's just another commie publication. Table of Contents, Building Resilient Communities, Activism in South Essex, Mutual Aid During the Pandemic, Charity or Solidarity, a revolutionary critique of COVID mutual aid, class power on zero hours, and other super exciting titles. Only available with actual money for actual paper, so I can't see if any of my assumptions are wrong. Ha! As if my assumptions about commies are ever wrong. Festival Father Frost Against 2021 has been postponed. From aftonomen.org. Aside from the title, this is a reprint of the announcement for the festival, so not much info not even what year they're aiming for at this point. Solidarity with Anarchist Comrade Juan Soroque from Round Robin, English translation by Anarchist News. An action is called for the beginning of his trial, which happened November 28th. Quote, Juan Soroque will face trial, an anarchist comrade that has always been by our side and on the side of anyone who needed him in Trentino, in Valsisa, or in any other place. He's opposed environmental devastation and social injustice. Imprisoned for a year and a half now in the AS2, High Vigilance Section of the Tyranny Prison, Juan is accused of an action against the headquarters of the League of Treviso that took place in August of 2018, while the directors of Autostrade for Italy are under house arrest for letting, knowingly, a bridge collapse instead of spending money to give it maintenance, 
Our comrade is accused of massacre, a felony that potentially carries a life sentence, for an attack against one of the headquarters of state racism. Unquote. No info on how to support or write him. One hopes the trial action was lively. Interview with 815 Mutual Aid Network from The Commoner. The people, the people, the people, the revolution, the people. There is a conversation that still and again needs to be had about how to meet people's needs, not the people's needs, just people's, in a way that doesn't almost entirely function just to let the state off the hook. That is, assuming that such a way is even possible. However, these people, and certainly this interview, are not having that conversation. Also, the people, and the revolution, and the people, and the people. Greece! New democracy and pandemic opportunism. From CrimeThink, the latest survey on what CrimeThink has to say about Greece. From COVID responses, the November 17th Memorial Day and actions thereof. Prisons, mostly more about COVID. Squad evictions, employment, specifically delivery work, which is being automated to the detriment of workers, of course. Immigrants, universities, aka bastions of resistance in Greek culture, and what they're calling a general strike on November 26th, because apparently multiple marches on the same day are now being called general strikes. That last one in particular is pure crime thing. A sad reflection on where resistance is at is named something impressive and celebrated as a win. Not saying crime think is the only group doing this, but they're the ones some of us hoped would know better. Moving on. Election night crime wave from Transmetropolitan Review. This review, known for compelling writing and occasionally odd video making, that skirts the terrain between fact and fiction, is back with a story about alternate activities during a night when, quote, thousands of liberals were glued to their screens eager to find out which elderly white male rapist would be coronated this January 2021, unquote. One of the things that happened was that someone was killed, and that person didn't get much attention. Also, crime. There is a map of some events, a picture of scattered ammunition, a picture of vandalism, and so on. Consider this a celebration of actions that could happen and might have happened, but not the unacclaimed death. Also, Kamala Harris is a cop, which apparently is worth pointing out because some people who call themselves anarchists are confused about elections? Unclear. Dorothy Day co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, was a radical activist. From Teen Vogue, by Lexi McMiniman. Ooh, ooh, Kim Kelly has started a pattern. Anyway, Dorothy Day wasn't just a radical activist. She was an avowed anarchist, albeit of the Christian variety. This article acknowledges that in the first sentence, but not in the headline. The timing for the article is interesting, though I haven't been paying enough attention to the media to know whether there's a lot of hoopla about violent anarchists still happening from the pulpits. So maybe it's just the 80th anniversary of her death. The piece emphasizes her Catholicism and social work, of course. The Catholics do have a somewhat better track record with their kids following in their footsteps, though. God damn it. The Scots Scarlet Pimpernel Ethel MacDonald was one of the Glasgow anarchists. From Glasgow Evening Times by Anne Fotheringham. I only know about Ethel because of a pamphlet from Kate Sharpley Library, which unfortunately has a tendency to put out really boring historical pamphlets about really interesting people. This is five short paragraphs, oddly enough they're numbered, about her life. Quote, paragraph three. In January 1937, Ethel began transmitting English language reports on the war in Barcelona's widely heard anarchist radio station. Glasgow Women's Library, which includes Ethel's story in its Clydeside Women Heritage Bike Ride, 
explains during the so-called May riots of 1937, when hundreds died and anarchists were being assassinated in their own homes, Ethel risked her own life by helping anarchists who were wanted by the communist secret police to escape Spain. Her bravery was picked up at home by the British press, who nicknamed her the Scots Scarlet Pimpernel, unquote. She died young, of course. Escaping the Armed Madhouse from C4SS by Chad Nelson. This is a write-up of a new book by Robert Anton Wilson, who's been dead for over 10 years. Chad is endearingly partisan, but doesn't do much contextualizing or compare Wilson's writing to anyone else who writes in a similar vein. Seems like if you've enjoyed other Robert Anton Wilson books, then this one might be worth your time too. And enthusiastic, knowledgeable people are appealing, as far as that goes. Quote, As a Robert Anton Wilson aficionado, I study the Wilson avoir like Wilson studied Joyce's. I pore over his fictional work in the most microscopic fashion, searching for the hidden gems Wilson camouflaged with his zen-like prose, the way mystics do. Starseed helped me uncover a few more of his secrets that had eluded me. That alone was worth the price of admission. But Starseed was far more than that. It was optimistic, inspiring, and self-helpy in actionable ways. (laughs) all qualities I have come to expect for the best of Wilson's work. Starseed challenges you to aggressively interrogate the most unquestionable societal taboos and identify your own robotic behaviors so that you may escape the socially programmed reward punishment matrix, not for purely selfish reasons, but so that you may become a modern-day bodhisattva, something the world desperately needs more of right now, unquote. Okay. Writings on the Wall from CrimeThink. Quote, Working with the German publisher Unrost, our friends from Black Mosquito have published a collection of our writings from 2012 to 2020 in German, entitled Writings on the Wall. Together, these texts offer a view from the front lines of struggles from Minneapolis to Kurdistan, exploring some of the most urgent subjects of debate in contemporary social movements. Violence, vengeance, consent, and consensus, how to persevere in the face of seemingly impossible odds, what revolution could mean in the 21st century, In the introduction presented below in English, we describe the times and conditions we were writing in and what our experiences might offer the struggles of the future, unquote. Maybe I have COVID fog on the brain, but this write-up was surprisingly hard to follow. Anyway, opinion reserved until someone gets a look at the actual book, preferably someone who can read it. The cover is reminiscent of the Berlin Wall. Pretty old school. A tribute to Karen Smith, RIP, from It's Going Downer by Panagioti Sulkas. She died in a car crash. She had kids who need support. This obituary is written by a friend and colleague. It's sad to miss people. Quote, at any given point in a day, she might step away from a conversation with you to take a phone call and come back having coordinated a legal defense strategy with someone sitting in solitary. By the end of the day, there will be a phone zap going to support their fight for law library access, better sanitary conditions in the kitchen, or getting moved out of solitary. Unquote. Included our picks and links to her projects and her history in supporting prisoners. Libations all around this year. Anarcho-feminist at the dawn of the 20th century, from Picara, an online magazine by Araceli Pupillo. This is a mainstream historical piece out of Spain on Spanish anarchist women, and in particular their relationship to a periodical called The White Magazine, focusing on three women, Soledad Gustavo, Federica Monsini, the infamous, and Antonia Maimon. The piece gives many biographies of each of these and states a few times that the issues they addressed are still relevant today, but doesn't elucidate, and then basically ends saying that someone should write more about these women. I probably agree. 
Audio video. Joe Rogan experience number 1,572. Moxie Marlin spike. Three hours and one minute from the Joe Rogan experience via YouTube. Well, this does seem a bit of a strange one, but here we go. Moxie Marlin spike, quote, the creator of the encrypted messenger service Signal and co-founder of the Signal Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to global freedom of speech through the development of open source privacy technology, unquote, appears on the MMA DMT man's show for three whole hours. I definitely skimmed this, but really found nothing particularly outstanding or offensive about the conversation. Rogan and Moxie mostly discuss digital surveillance and privacy, social media, and weirdly Moxie's love of sailing. There is a pretty spirited debate in the comments for this submission, debating whether Moxie appearing on the show, quote, standing by a sexist pig like Rogan, who's been befriending even more sexist and racist alt-right pigs of the years like Gavin McInnes, unquote, is somehow endorsing Rogan. Beyond the usual shut-the-fuck-up nerds bandied about, there are the seeds of a quality conversation on how anarchists interact with large media outlets and why they would choose to engage with those audiences. I do think it's funny that no one showed this much rancor when anarchists popped up on NPR, but I guess nuance matters here. Interview with Peter Gelderloos on the dangers of nonviolence. An hour and 16 minutes from the Green Anti-Capitalist Front, GAF. About itself, the GAF says, quote, the Green Anti-Capitalist Front is an alliance of groups and individuals united by a belief that capitalism is one of the core causes of the environmental crisis threatening us all and that the costs of this crisis are falling on the poor and powerless, unquote. And their website banner reads, quote, climate struggle is class struggle, unquote. So buckle up, baby. Here we have someone bringing Peter in to do his one-trick show and talk about that book he wrote in 2005, plagued by internet connection issues that no one cared to edit out, and hearing questions Peter has answered a thousand times made this podcast an exercise in patience. That being said, Peter does answer those questions well, we just wish he and Christian Williams were always brought on to talk about the same thing every time. GAF stands for give a fuck. <laughs> Uncovering spy cops in the UK, an hour and 12 minutes from the final straw. Ah, as mentioned by an Anon in the comments, it's good to see the final straw back on anarchist news after a lengthy stretch of non-anarchist guests. I get the challenge of needing guests for a weekly show based around in-depth conversations, but it has been a while. Anyway, this episode starts off with a reading of Sean Swain's reflections on presidential elections present and past. Unfortunately, Sean didn't win this time around. Sad. The rest of the episode is a conversation between host Bursts and Donal O'Driscoll of the Undercover Research Group, which, quote, is creating an online, one-stop resource on political policing and undercover surveillance. To enhance public understanding of the undercover policing scandal, we will profile the people and the units involved, illustrated with timelines and background stories. We will provide evidence of undermining protest and dissent to support others holding those responsible, responsible to, to account. account. Unquote. Responsible. Hold them responsible. Discussed our attempts at unmasking undercover cops in the UK and the various ways undercovers are used to snag radicals, highlighting instances in which cops have, for example, had children with members of radical groups in order to solidify their cover. It's pretty grim out there, folks. 
System fail number five, sick of winning. 22 minutes from submedia. This is an episode entirely about the results of the U.S. election, which is to say a very boring piece of media. Beyond the schadenfreude of right-wing violence and victories failing to materialize, submedia does manage to throw in a little, but Biden is also bad, though it's all pretty tacky. The last third of this episode is an interview with Tom Nomad, author of The Master's Tools, Warfare and Insurgent Possibility, and Toward an Army of Ghosts, who wants you to know that we are, in fact, insurgents, in case you didn't remember. Sterner's Critics on Immediatism Podcast. 29, 30, 31, 33, 35, and 26 minutes, respectively, from immediatism.com. Presented here are the introduction and contents of the Little Black Cart book, Sterner's Critics. As is mentioned in Jason McQuinn's introduction, the less-than-hospitable takes on the Ego book started right at its publication and have carried on through today. Taking aim at his contemporary critics, Sterner aimed to break the conceptual bonds put on upon him by said takes with this book. I have not read the Ego book, and thus I don't really have much of a stake in whether it's read well or not. But I guess I'm all for people taking on their critics. Shrug. <laughs> Critics are never kind They thrive on the negative They seldom give Their praise or their thanks And their word is sacrosanct The critics are always blind Deaf and dumb when it comes to change Their feeble brains Cannot penetrate Till it's too late. Topic of the week, anarchist aesthetics. How do anarchists recognize one another outside the book fair, outside the demo, outside the show? In days past, and perhaps still, it was through wearing certain clothes, carrying certain books, presenting a certain attitude, styling one's hair just so, in other words, through an aesthetic. As capitalism moves ever onward, these symbols become less and less distinct as more and more people have ready access to all the banned t-shirts, obscure books, and identities that were once locked away in something like subculture. But anarchists continue using similar aesthetic tools and references to signal where they're coming from and where they're going. In the world of anarchist news, the aesthetic reference I see most is that of punk. Whether that is the use of deterred, rough cut, collage style images and graphics or just actually playing punk music during your podcast, anarchists are still reaching back into that same cultural font, connecting themselves to a specific subcultural lineage. What is communicated to others through this aesthetic? An aesthetic of rage, of youth, of certain cultural products, of, deconstru- of destruction and no future. This aesthetic clearly brings in a certain crowd when something like an anarchist publication uses it. But who does it push away? And so these are my questions to you. What other aesthetics have you seen in Anarchy Land? Did this aesthetic attract you, repel you? Why? Who do you see playing with anarchist aesthetics, symbols, and lineage? And most importantly, how could anarchists be doing aesthetics better? Other aesthetics I have noticed gnarly black metal font. What if it was orange? Slick web 2.0 professionalism. That's funny. Greetings, Anarchy Land. Ariel here. Hello to you all. This week, I have 
uh, my very good friend, Sunny, with me. Hi, Sunny. Hi. Thanks for coming and talking to me. Mm-hmm. And we are going to talk about aesthetics or, well, probably I'm going to complain and Sunny's going to talk about aesthetics because I don't really care about <laughs> aesthetics that much and I'm not really very good at them. Um, and Sunny, if you all could see Sunny, Sunny is very good at them. So um, what do I have to say? Uh, I guess before we get to the questions, um, um, I definitely came through Anarchy Through Punk. I was definitely the person in the room not dressed like everybody else, except for the fact that um, I was in black. But in the Bay, in the 90s, um, Carhartt was an important part of that fashion, the super expensive things that you stole from REI were part of that fashion. Um, and I was, uh, I am a thick hipped curvy fat girl, so I can't wear Carhartt clothes and I'm not a good shoplifter. So I didn't have things from REI. Um, I definitely felt like even though I was in my twenties, I was the person at Gilman who was dressed like somebody's mom. Um, yeah, but it was definitely, it always warmed my heart to like walk through the mission and see the kids in their punk outfits and be like, those are my people. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I'm not sure what to say here. So I'm rambling. This is why I asked you to come and talk to me. So what am I going to ask you? I'm going to ask you to talk about you the relationship in your life between how you present yourself and um what you do like as in like like I know the things that you like and I know your hobbies and I have a sense of your music and 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 so um is there an aesthetic connection to them that's kind of like the forward facing part of the other the the, the other things in your life god i mean Maybe it makes sense for me to say a little bit more about my path into Anarchy World. Yeah, if you want to, do it. Which was not punk, exactly. Hmm. It was it was only in about 2012. So it was already at, it was already past the point where Anarchy was like really punk and that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And it was already past the point where the, like, hipster thing had already become the thing. Right. And it was, like, but when I moved to a new city and I was, like, I need to meet anarchists, I went to punk shows Mm -hmm. to meet anarchists. And then I stopped going because I didn't actually like punk music. Mm -hmm. But that's where the anarchists were, nonetheless. So it did work. Yeah. Um... And I didn't like a lot of punk music. <laughs> I only liked some punk music, uh-huh. but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Every weekend you were at a show because that's where the anarchists were hanging out. That's where you hooked up with people to do other stuff. You just like, it was just like Gilman wasn't just about the music. It was also a social space. And so, yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. So I kind of like joined a group of friends basically and sort of kind of took on what they already had going on aesthetically, which was like a lot of shoplift and American apparel, Ooh. like, 
but then some punk things mixed into that. And people had different things going on, but there was a look. And part of Tell me the because this is a curiosity mm-hmm. on my part. Is this are you still on the East Coast when yeah. you're having this conversation? Yeah. Uh-huh. So what were the punk pieces of the look that got that that got saved, that got held on to? Sometimes there would be like uh cut off shorts with some kind of tights underneath. <laughs> look, you know? the look on your face as you <laughs> Sunny is not a fan of this look. <laughs> cut off shorts with some kind of tights or leggings underneath. There was definitely like shirts that were old and falling apart and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff from the dumpster of Mm -hmm. the college campus Uh and kind of like a, that sort of medley, but but mixed in with like shoplifted hipster Mm -hmm. clothes, basically. Did the, did the studs make it? No, the studs didn't really make it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like punk, uh... It's like more like an of a nod to punk, or maybe it actually is kind of the actually just the practical part of punk. It rather, sounds like it. Yeah, rather cheap, than yeah, free, cheap easily and, accessible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was, yeah, kind of like punk in practice, but with a different um, face on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that's where. That's where you found, where you made the transition into being an anarchist mm-hmm. in, in terms of like time and, and what you were wearing and the people that you were around. And, yeah. Um, and so uh, there are, um, I get, so what am I going to ask you about? I'm going to ask you about the two things. There's not being a punk. And so your music being different and, and then like your other hobbies and your other interests. And so do you feel like there's a, re- there's a relationship between those things and the, and the way that you dress? Cause you, there's a, like when you're in a full outfit, there's a slickness to the way that you look that's, it feels very New York to me. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say that what I mean when I say that is, when I lived in New York, I had never been around so many, like, hip, well-dressed, well-intentionally put together. You know, you looked like you bought your clothes off of the rack at, you know, some kind of boutique-like store, even though that wasn't necessarily true. And and it was it was so... It wasn't, I mean, every, every look is intentional. And even like, you know, the the ragged, it looks like you pulled it out of dumpster, the leather, the studs, the, like, that's intentional. But it was very clean, very slick, very, like, things were not torn. You know, tr- uh, your the cuffs on your pants were not ragged. You're like, this, like, this was all very important, it felt like to me. Um, and you carry a bunch of that in a lot of the outfits that you wear. Um, and so I'm thinking about your East Coast, West Coast transition. I'm wondering about, yeah, how, if if your if your music plays into that. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. There's like 17 questions in there. I'm not sure if any of them are useful, but 
I, I've thought about that. And to be honest, I'm not totally sure where that came from, actually. Huh. Um, there was some point where something changed and I started trimming my bangs in a very, very razor straight mm-hmm. line. And I started wearing clothes without holes in them. <laughs> and like everything kind of just like turned up a a neater notch. <laughs> and I'm I don't know I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I don't I'm not sure what the connection is. <laughs> I mean what when I was like coming up in anarchy, one what one of the things that me and my friends did together was like go to the club and go to the dance party and dance. And what we wanted to hear was hip hop and trap. Right. Uh, not punk. Right. At the dance party. You can't yeah. dance to that music. Which is why I wondered if there's a hip hop influence here. I think that is, I think that, yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. And then in your, and I don't, I don't know if you want to give it away. So I'm going to say like your most involved hobby or pastime that you also managed to make a little money off of is one that traditionally kind of has a line into like hippiedom. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. don't like, you don't, front that at all not even a little bit mm-hmm. so I think that's an interesting thing about you like I would never in a million years would I see you from across the street and go oh yeah of course that's what Sunny does yeah yeah I I had a time there was a brief time when I dabbled in hippiedom but it was long before I was interested in any actual hippie shit <laughs> um, it was more like I'm 16 and I'm not going to shave my pits. Gotcha. And then everyone made fun of me at school and sure, you know, things like this. But, um, I sort of wanted to turn back to the questions a little bit because I was thinking about it and, um, I was like, I don't, I kind of don't, I'm not sure that I recognize anarchists outside of the book fair or the, demo or the thing I was like I don't think I've ever I can't think of some time when I've met someone and made that connection or clocked them in in that kind of way the only time that I think it comes close for me is something more like when I see two or more people together Mm -hmm. in this in kind of the same way that um it's like much easier to spot gay people when they're together. Sure. And we, and I can be like, oh, they're together. That's obvious. I'm gay. So, but, so I think there's something to that. I think it's something about, not necessarily that it's about the way that people interact with each other, but some kind of either like suspicious uh, similarity or like uh Um, what's the word? Yeah. Kind of like to dress too similarly in a, in a uniform kind of way. Sure. Or too drastically differently Mm -hmm. because it'll be this kind of anarchist with a, or whatever, Mm -hmm. a a normie dressed anarchist with a crust punk. And you're like, those people shouldn't be. 
why, walking down oh, the street right. Why together. are the, what's the unifying factor for these people? Because you feel like that they shouldn't. It be doesn't make the same. sense. Right. That's, yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. So sometimes when I, particularly when sure. I see that, I'm like, why? Why are those people together? Yeah. I want you know. That's I. I feel like that's the only inkling that I've had about stuff like that. Well, and I but I think that that's what the the person who's writing the question is trying to say is that there was a time time when this was so much easier. Yeah. Because you either just looked like a punk, and 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 that was kind of everybody in the scene. And then there was a and I and I don't know if people know this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I think probably get the timing wrong. But I'm going to say about in the early 2000s, there was an anarchist who very intentionally decided that he was going to build, like basically say, you can be hip and be an anarchist. And if we are hip and we are anarchists and we have this look, a look that's a lot closer to yours, mm-hmm. that that then we can bring in different people and anarchy can can basically like play at a different level because we all don't just look like dirty punks who should be arrested and um was really intentional about it moved lived in multiple places in the country while it was a thing that he was doing um so that and and you can kind of see it like it moved with him and there there is a arguably there's a level of success that he had with it and there are people who are going to argue about whether or not it was good, it was bad, or it was or it was effective. But it meant that when I was in New York in the mid two thousands, most of the anarchists that I encountered, or I don't want to say most, but a but definitely a noticeable representative percentage of them looked like hipsters. Mm-hmm. Straight up, just looked like hipsters, and I was surprised that these people were anarchists. Um, and so. There were the punks, there were the hipsters, but like, you know, so does half of New York look like hipsters. So that's not necessarily a good identifier. So there is something in the question about who do we look like now? And and that's hard for me to answer because I'm old. I'm closer to 50 than not. So I have less exposure to people who are young and, and I... If I am in a room of anarchists, they're usually people who are older. And as you get older, the fashion part becomes less important to you. It was never particularly important to me. So those are not necessarily the people that I'm drawn to. Uh, uh, But one of his questions in here is, what other aesthetics have you seen in anarchy land? Did this aesthetic attract or repel you? Um, How and how could anarchists be doing aesthetics better? So we have an example of someone attempting to do something different with aesthetics mm-hmm. um, in it, in it seeming like it was sending a different message and then it attracting a different group of people. So is it, do you think that it's a, it's a downside that it's harder for you to identify anarchists in the world? Hmm. I mean, not exactly. Partly because the way that I and I would assume most people meet other anarchists when not at the book fair or whatever is through friends that are anarchists. And so sort of an extension of the book fair, mm-hmm. just an extension of the social world. Mm-hmm. And 
And I think people just meet each other less in person, make new friends in person anymore. Not so much. That has, I have an understanding of this as an experience for sure. Um, and it makes me think of um, often when I am in the Midwest, I am in a, a very tiny little college town that, um, and that college is small, liberal arts, mostly white, pretty expensive. Um, and I was at a restaurant in that town waiting for food. And one of the young college girls, blonde ponytail, you know, fresh faced and 18 years old, she comes and she has on a pink sweatshirt that says a cab on the <laughs> sleeve with glittery, sparkly cat heads on it. Yeah. And it says all cats are beautiful. Yeah. And at first I'm shocked because I don't believe that anybody in this town knows what the hell a cab is. Like, it's just that that can't be a real thing. And then I watch her for a little while and I listen to talk to her and listen to her, talk to her friends. And at some point went, Oh my God, I know what happened. She was in whatever, some hot topic like boutique store and saw the sweatshirt and went, Oh, all cats are beautiful. <laughs> and she bought it. <gasps> So this thing that should be a surefire sign, so not a sign at all that this girl is going to be even remotely in my world. Um, which, which, of course, the question talks about. Like, what is it? These things get get pulled in and bought by capitalism and then resold back to us and that, that process of that reification. And so, like, it blows me away that I can see 20-year-olds wearing what look like weathered old, worn, loved Clash t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Just like, you're not, I mean, okay, you get to know who the Clash is, but you weren't there. And that t- mm-hmm. like, that's just not, and it kind of, like, it's a little trippy and it kind of blows you away. Um, so I don't, I think you're right. And it makes me sad. And it goes back to other conversations we've had about the fact that so many anarchists are actually alone and they only do their anarchy on the internet and they mm-hmm. aren't parts of communities of people. And so you don't get to, identify people from across the street or that other person standing in line at the coffee shop. And, and so I guess I'm going to say that I think it's unfortunate that there are less of those aesthetic signifiers. Um, Cause maybe you just think you're alone in your town, mm-hmm. but you're not. Uh, and maybe people would be too nervous or, or too worried or too whatever to willingly come off the internet and meet you, but maybe it would be different if you ran into them at a coffee shop and, um, yeah, books. People reading books on the subway yeah. in New York. That was a good way to find <laughs> anarchists. Okay, so what are the rest of the questions? Um, what other aesthetics have you seen in Anarchy Land? Can you clock another one? Uh. Something that's not what we're talking about? Because you've been around a lot more than me lately and, God. I mean, there's regional variation. Okay, give me a regional variation. Like, well, there's like the New Orleans punks. I don't know what that is. They're like a little bit crustier. Mm, okay. And like other south, other like south and southeast like anarchist punks mm-hmm. where there's like, they're probably wearing all black, but there's also camo mixed in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're still wearing fanny packs as far as i'm aware really mm-hmm. interesting hmm. and 
Uh, Are they booted? Yes. Yeah? Sometimes. Well, because I'm thinking about places where there's not real winter. Yeah. So there are ways that your clothes don't have to be practical like they have to in other parts of the country. Yeah. I think... I think they are, I think they're still booted. Huh. I mean, I'm not really sure. Ah, fanny packs. Yeah. That's throwing me a little bit, I gotta mm-hmm. tell you. Huh. Mm-hmm. Practical. Not like the new thing around the shoulder, <laughs> which is what people, which is what some people in, which is what people in major cities are doing. <laughs> yeah. And college students a lot. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is. One of, one of my favorite bag makers, Timbuktu, is pushing hard fanny packs in their Christmas sale. It just makes me go, oh. But all the models are, like the pictures, yeah, they're all wearing them across their shoulders. The, yeah, yeah. On the upper one, body, one, it's one, one guy literally even had the fanny itself um, diagonal across his chest. Yeah. And like had it clipped in the I've back. I've seen it. I was like, It's wow. really weird. Yeah, that's I'm not, I'm, weird. I'm re- that's definitely weird. It's really weird. Um, okay. Uh, did this aesthetic attract you and repel you? Well, I think we've both been thoroughly repelled by the fanny packs. Um... Yeah, so I talked about what I knew about. Who do you see playing with anarchist aesthetics, symbols, and lineage? You had any interactions? <sighs> anything that you've read? Anything that you've seen? I'm not sure. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, this is the question. How do anarchists do aesthetics better? And I'm not even remotely qualified to answer this question. Already, I feel like going to something like a, a book fair is exciting and you get to see the spread. Mm-hmm, for That's sure. That's really exciting yeah. to me. And it wouldn't be so exciting if there wasn't such a spread. Yeah. Yeah, if especially the big just, ones where people travel for them and they come yeah, from far like away. Montreal. Yeah. Or, yeah, I'm thinking of that particularly where it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people yep. from all over the, you know, all over North America. Yeah. Um, that's really exciting. And I see things that people wear there. Like I can think of this person I saw at a Montreal anarchist book fair five years ago and what she was wearing. And I was like, God, that looks so good. And I went and... <laughs> got the same dress as I saw her wearing. Nice. Because I was like, this is such a pristine example of the little black dress that looks really hot. And maybe because I'm at the anarchist book fair is why I'm thinking this, but it looks like very anarchist to me. And it just everything was right about it. it. She was killing it. So maybe anarchists need to reclaim the little black dress. It is a black dress. Yeah. Maybe and, that's what I think. And I don't feel like I've seen too many, I've seen many instances where there have been like too many anarchists, so many anarchists in a room in the little black dress. No. And the nice thing is that because of our politics, the gender part of it doesn't matter to, to most uh, like, you know, everybody can wear the little black dress. Everybody can look good in the little black dress. And so... You can dress it up. You right. Can, you can, it can be scamouflage. You can wear it to the club. You can wear it to the demo. I've seen people do it. Yeah. You can, yeah. Put, you can wear the boots with it. Yeah. Co- cover it up if you need to. hmm Yeah. So, okay. So that's the... the we're taking a stand. <laughs> we're saying that anarchists can be doing aesthetics better if everybody is bringing the little black dress. 
I don't even know if I have one anymore. See, now I got to go look at my closet. I have several, but you really only just need one. It's true, but you need one that fits you. And that's yeah. the, yeah. So there you go, Anarchy Land. Thanks for listening in. Thanks, Sunny, for hanging out and talking mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> it's getting cold and the COVID's getting worse. So everybody tuck in, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Go get, go dig out your little black dress. Go thrift yourself one if you don't have one. Because there's a ton of them at the thrift store. That's a nice thing about the little mm-hmm. black dress. There's like a whole rack of them at the thrift store. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Stay safe. Stay angry. Be careful. Watch your backs. And until next time, bye. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written by Chisel and Greg and read by Chisel and Verga. Welcome, Verga. Hi. We, we hope this podcast is useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcastanarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary anarchistnews.org. To learn more anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and material available at lowblackheart.com for news by anywhere about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the anarchy, Anarchist News IRC chat room linked on A News. Oh, fine, you try talking about that. <laughs> and or uh, the Anarchist News Pleroma, antisocial with dots. Talk to you next week. We thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week, aesthetics. Why do you tell me it's too... It's too... Ah... Uh, he can spice it. He can spice it. It's true. He can do all kinds of magic things, assuming that we actually recorded this time. Yeah.